You guys know, we've talked about it before, how my mind is a little bit like a junk drawer. You know, like your junk drawer in the kitchen or in the garage where you go and you open it up and everything you could ever want, everything you could ever need lives inside of this drawer. But you can't find it because that drawer is unorganized. And uh, the best way to organize a junk drawer and to find what you need is to just pull it out and dump it out on a table or on a counter or on the floor or whatever and just kind of weed through it and, you know, throw away the broken things that you're never going to fix or you forgot where it came from or, oh, look, there's 15 screws from some random chairs that just kind of fell out over time and I don't even own the chair anymore, I don't think, and so you throw it out. Uh, well, this morning is kind of like that. Um, I got this, this, I had this moment in May when we were doing the Alpha course and uh, uh, it was a week before I was supposed to go minister in Cody, Wyoming. And I had, I had started to plan and write a sermon for Cody. We were going to talk about how Jesus is God and he's fully God and he's fully man and he's fully bro. And it was going to be fantastic because we're going to talk about how Jesus is like the friend that everybody wanted to hang out with. You know, we, we, we read the Bible and we see all these, these pictures of Jesus standing in front of the masses and teaching them and sleeping in the boat while there's the storm. And then he gets up and says, peace. And then the storm quits because it Storm's a wuss. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's my Jesus. And, and he's super powerful and super strong and super great. But what we don't see is the in-between times because there were fires like at night when they were out, camp or when they, when they were out traveling from place to place at night, they would sit down and there would be a fire and it was just a bunch of guys sitting around a fire and men's retreat happened every night because Jesus was just that cool. And uh, that's what I was gonna talk about and I was super excited about, but this, this thing happened at Alpha. And it kind of rocked me. And so I was like, I gotta change my sermon. I have to do So I changed it and, and we went to Cody and, and, and I, I shared this thing that I'm gonna share with you this morning. And uh, that was in May. And so here we are, what, seven months later, six months later. And uh, I'm not sharing it exactly because things have modified, things have changed but there's a lot of information in my junk drawer and I'm gonna try to weed through. So if this feels less than stream, less streamlined than what you would uh, normally like to see, I apologize. I'm just trying to get it all straightened out because this, this thing I wanna share with you, and I'm gonna share with you at the beginning. I'm not gonna make you wait till the end. It's not gonna be like the point comes at the end and hits you in the face. I'm gonna share it with you at the beginning and then we're gonna kind of root through it a little bit. Um, but guys, this is, this is something that's really exciting for me. So we're in Alpha, the Alpha course that Pam was leading. We're over in the office building um, during first service. <clears throat> and uh, I don't even remember what they were talking about that day. And I don't remember the whole rest of the video. But is, as part of the opening, there was a voiceover. And the voiceover read Romans 12.1. And Romans 12.1 has kind of been... A little bit, like the, the Romans chapter 12 has been kind of a life verse thing for me where it always comes up and we always go through it. But verse one has always been a little bit, a little bit weird. Uh, so Romans 12, one says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Yeah. I forgot to see if that was going to be big enough. It's probably not, but we'll, we'll tell. So, brothers and sisters, give your bodies to God. Makes sense, because he's done stuff for you. Awesome. Uh, so that they can be a living and holy sacrifice is the part. That's kind of the part. And I always, I always kind of glossed over that part. I was always kind of like, uh, yeah, yeah, die to self, die to self. Jesus, more Jesus, less self. And we'll move on. And we always kind of did that. And... I never paid attention to it because it seemed so 
cliche. It seemed unreal. It seemed, it seemed, you know how you read over and over and over and it just is, it doesn't strike you as important? It, it, it struck me as Christian 101. And most of Romans is Christian 101, so, you know, whatever. But it, it just seemed simple, but kind of shallow, redundant, necessary, but we never really focused on it. But the rhema word of God hit me that morning. Rhema, for those of you who don't know, is, is, is how God speaks new things out of old text. And that doesn't mean that I'm the first person to ever understand this. I'm probably the last person to understand this. You guys are probably going to be like, Derek, you're a way to catch up, buddy. Uh, and that's fair. That's fine. If all you learn today is that someone who's been in ministry for 15 years can learn something new, then learn that. Okay, the back page of your bulletin is blank for a reason. Okay, Holy Spirit's going to speak something important to you that probably has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. So write that down. Write down what God is telling you this morning. But uh, like I said, if all you learn is that after you know 15 years, I've been I've been leading worship since I was 15, 16, 15, 16. That's 20 years, and God is still just hitting me with just like you guys remember. We were watching the video. This line comes up of scripture that we've all heard. And I made them stop the video. And then I sat quietly for a minute. And they all just kind of looking at me like, come on, dude. What are we even doing here? And then, oh, it's so good. Okay, so. In that moment, the word sacrifice didn't sound past tense to me. In the English language, sacrifice is defined. I think that's going to come up here in a second. I, I, Mike, I apologize. I've never made one of these PowerPoints this way before. So good luck to you, sir. I forgot to talk to you about it. Uh, okay, so sacrifice in English is the offering of animal, plant, or human life, or some material possession to a deity as in uh, propitiation or homage or the person, animal, or thing so offered. In English, sacrifice only really exists as a past tense thing. Like, you don't have a sacrifice until you've had a sacrifice. It's not been sacrificed until it's been burned or until it's died. But in Greek, that's not the case. In Greek, that's not the case. So uh, in Greek, uh, the word for sacrifice is thusia. I think that's how you pronounce that. Uh, I'm, uh, not Greek. <laughs> uh, thusia. Lost it. Uh, the act of sacrifice or the victim in a sacrifice, literally or figuratively. Which means that the thing going to be sacrificed is a sacrifice if it's not been sacrificed. This is the junk drawer. Because it, it's, it's language. I love language. Language is so cool and it's so fun to, to root around in and try to figure out and play with. But that's, that's what we're talking about this morning is that sacrifice, you know, moving forward, we can understand in this discussion that sacrifice equals victim. A sacrifice is a victim. <clears throat> the potential victim or the actual victim. These are both past and present tense. And so when we're talking about a living sacrifice, 
We're talking about a sacrifice in the state that it lived before it would have become an actual sacrifice. Because a sacrifice is a sacrifice whether it's dead or not, right? Are, we, are, we, are you guys catching up with me? Because I feel like, like even in my mind, this is really knotted up. Really, really knotted up. <laughs> when I moved here, how many of you were here when the flooding happened in this room? Like a handful of people? When they first moved into this building um, and the stage was up, um, or at least early after, there was a problem with the, the fire stuff. And uh, the sprinklers went off one night and they came in and there was water out to about where I'm standing and all the sound gear was shot. So when I moved here in 2010, um, the insurance company had basically said, we don't want it. So all this stuff was, was new. The insurance company paid for most of what's in this room. Uh, and all the old stuff was in the blue building. <clears throat> and we needed a sound system for camp. And I was like, uh, can I just look through the water damage stuff? Because if sound gear dries properly and you work through whatever got rusty, you can usually use it. And so we've, we've been using it, but there was a box this big. It took me like two days to untangle. Because it was spaghetti all the cables that had been on the stage, somebody just picked up and did this with and then threw it in a box. That's how this feels to me. I feel, I feel tangled in my mind because this, is, this understanding of sacrifice has such far-reaching implications. And we're going to talk about some of those, those far-reaching implications because right now, like in the story of that day at the Alpha class, all that had happened was I heard it. Not past tense, the other one. I heard it in a future tense, like, like, like a, uh, uh, somebody throw me a pen, please. I forgot to grab a pen. Thank you, sir. <laughs> potential. I heard it as a potential sacrifice. Does somebody want this one back? So I will gladly just. <laughs> hey, church is a family sport. We talked about this this morning in that prayer circle too. Church is a family sport and sometimes it's full contact. So, yeah. So today we're going to go ahead and take this understanding of the idea of the living sacrifice and see how it might apply to modern day, to the New Testament Christian, by looking at what it would have meant to the Old Testament follower of God. Now I get it. I get that the book of Romans was written to Romans. It was written to unchurched people. But it was using language of the day. And language of the day has to be transferred. It has to be bridged from them to us so that we can all understand what we're talking about. So I would hope that through this discussion that we have this morning, we would have a better understanding of the heart of God towards us, both as an individual and as a group. Okay? <clears throat> so, in the Old Testament, there were five major types of sacrifices. <clears throat> And I got this information uh, the same way most pastors do. I Googled it. Uh, that's what we do now. We Google stuff. Some of, us, some of us still have libraries, but... Oh my gosh, you guys, I'm, I'm going to share all the stories this, today. I got to go to Pastor Brent's new office in Sioux Falls a, f a couple of months ago. And the previous guy, or the previous guys, whoever they built this office for, was a reader. And we all know that Pastor Brent is a reader, but... Since he doesn't see super well, his are all digital. They're all in one thing. So I walk into his office, and it's got three walls of bookcases. And they're all empty. 
<laughs> they were all empty. And he's got his chair and his desk and the, the, the handful of things that he actually needs because everything's digital. And I just looked at it and I laughed. He goes, yeah, I don't even know what to do with this room. I'm like, just leave it. <laughs> and he, he had, he, you know, remember when they moved and I, I built that box and we put all our cards in that box? That was on the shelf. That was like the only thing on the shelves in his office. It was funny. I laughed hard. So five main Old Testament sacrifices. Um, the first was the burnt offering. Oh, yeah, I Googled this. Um, it's an article by William K. Gilders um, called Five Main Types of Old Testament Sacrifice. There's the burnt offering, which could be a herd or a flock animal, a bull, a sheep, a goat, or a bird. It could be a dove or a pigeon. Um, the whole animal was burned in the fire. It was the most extra extravagant sacrifice because the entirety was given to God, the whole thing. Um, there was the grain offering. So it was an offering of fine flour or unleavened baked goods mixed with oil. A handful of the offering was burned with incense on the fire. The rest went to the priests because the priests had to eat. And so um, as New Testament Christians in our world, we don't really think much about the Levites. But the, 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 the Levite um, clan, if you will, of Israelites were all priests and they all served at different times. And so you would have potentially hundreds of priests on site working just piles and piles of people, and they had to eat. And so the sacrificial system was set up in part, so some of it would go to God and some of it would go to his people. It's really interesting. Uh, sacrifice, uh, number three, was the sacrifice of well-being. Uh, that's the fellowship offering. It could be a herd animal or a flock animal. Most of the animal was eaten, divided between the priests and the person offering, okay? This sacrifice was associated with feasting and well-being. Um, and uh, number four, this is the sin or purification offering. This dealt with um, disruption in the relationship between human beings and God, right? Sin entered, God's over there, now we're over here, we were together, hugging it up, having a good time. Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered our stream, and now we're separated. The sin, the sin or purification offering was supposed to bring us back into right standing with God, uh, but it was short-lived. It was always short-lived, it never, never was a, a long, consistent thing. Um, had to be redone daily, weekly, yearly, I mean, depending on what you did and, and what sacrifice you were working with, um, some people just lived unclean forever. They didn't have a choice because they were just, they had a job or a lifestyle that, that led, led to them being unclean. It doesn't seem fair, but it's, uh, it's very interesting to, to read through. Um, so yeah, we can read more about that another time. Uh, then the fifth one is the guilt offering uh, dealt with... <clears throat> Distinct categories of wrongdoing that disrupted the divine and human relationship, the God-people relationship, such as um, unintentional discretion of sacred things, um, or sorry, unintentional desecration of sacred things. Um, so like, say some guy is unclean, and he runs by me and smacks me in the face. I've been touched by an unclean thing, so now I'm unclean. And I have to go do a sacrifice. That's the kind of thing we would probably be talking about with the, uh, the guilt offering. It's less about what I did and more about the state of being. Guys, in the sacrificial system, the state of being human is sinful. To exist is to be sinful. To live as a human is to be sinful. It's to be less than what God designed us for. Uh, because we are less than what God designed us for in our natural state. Um, so the sacrificial system existed to bring us back to God continuously and, and to work us through. And the sacrificial system isn't something we talk about in, in New Testament church, uh, especially in modern church so much, because one, we don't understand sacrifice. We just don't. Um, and uh, two, it's really uncomfortable to think that uh, sacrifice is even necessary. Because when I said to live 
in the human state is to be separated from God, is to be uh, is sinful. Every one of you in your heart had a sinking feeling that said, oh, I don't like this conversation. Uh, and so we don't talk about it because it's not popular. But guys, the sacrificial system and the sacrificial discussion is 100% the story of Jesus. 100%. Because Jesus came and wiped it out with his sacrifice. If Jesus hadn't sacrificed, within that sacrificial system, within the system that God set up when we failed, we wouldn't be here, okay? It's important that we have these conversations and they aren't always super fun. Sometimes they make you feel a little sick and a little gross on the inside and that's okay because they're gonna come out on the other side. Can you imagine living Old Testament where all you had was the, oh, I woke up today and oh, there it is, I'm sick again or I, my baby threw up on me so now, I'm, now I have to go deal with that, that uncleanliness again. Really simple things were not, anyway, I want to talk about the Passover sacrifice. And of the five sacrifices that we've talked about, um, this is more of a, um, it's kind of a different thing. And I can't guarantee that the Passover sacrifice is what they were talking about in Romans 12 when he used that word sacrifice. I don't know that those two are exactly the same. But what I can tell you is that um, the Passover sacrifice is 100% connected to Jesus and 100% connected to um, kind of the flow of Christianity and what Jesus did when he came. Uh, so what I particularly like about it is that it pertains primarily to sheep and goats. And since the Bible spends so much time comparing us to sheep, it makes sense to me that this uh, specifically sheep-centered sacrifice would be an appropriate study point. Okay? Now, the understanding of, of being a living sacrifice should probably be applied to every sacrifice in the Bible discussed in any form, anywhere, we don't have that kind of time, so I picked a handful, a few really good ones, most that came up that morning at Alpha. Exodus chapter 12 discusses the first Passover meal, and it gives specific instructions for that first Passover meal. But the second year that they did it, and the third year and the fourth year, it wasn't the same context. Context changed, and so there are actually books um, uh, in, in, in uh, uh, Catholicism, Catholic, in, 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 uh, in, in Jewish church structure, there are other books besides the Pentateuch, besides what we have here. And so when we talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the extra rules that they added, these are in the other books, okay? Um, and, and the instructions for Passover beyond the first Passover are in those books. So I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about what Passover looked like after year one. Okay, Passover year one, you guys have like two days, get this done because angels come in and bad things are going to happen, so do the thing, right? But after that, it's like, hey, we're remembering the thing, so yeah, we'll open it up. So this is from uh, an article um, by uh, the Jewish Encyclopedia Board and Jacob Zalel Lauterbach. The sacrificial animal, uh, and I've, I've kind of pulled just chunks out of this because it's a long article. Uh, the sacrificial animal, which is either which was either a lamb or a kid, was necessarily a male, one year old, and without blemish, okay? One year old, remember that. When it was given, it had to be a year old, and without blemish. Each family or society offered one victim together, which did not require the laying on of hands, although it was obligatory to determine uh, who were to take part in the sacrifice that the, uh, the killing might take place with the proper intentions. Only those who were circumcised and clean before the law might participate, and they were forbidden to have leavened food in, the, in possession during the act of killing the Paschal lamb. This is just the sacrificing of the lamb part. A lot of rules. 
The animal was slain on the eve of Passover. Women were allowed to participate. Just another note there. Um, the killing took place in the court of the temple and might be performed by a layman, although the blood had to be caught by a priest. In rows of priests with gold or silver cups in their hands stood in line from the temple court to the altar where the blood was sprinkled. Okay, I want you guys to try to imagine. At first Passover, there was somewhere between two and four million Jews. How many families would that have been? So year two, when they're going to redo this, and they have priests and, and, and stuff, and all this has to be done by a priest, blood has to be caught, and we're killing year-old lambs, how many families would have been at the, at, at the tent or at the... the um, how many? I didn't do the math. It's a lot, though. It's a ton. Piles and piles, gallons. Okay, when... when, when, when uh, when Revelation talks about how, like in the last battle, blood will run, or when, when, uh, uh, when the Bible talks about how during sacrifices, blood ran like river, it ran like rivers. There was so much death and so much gore. And I know it's gross. I know we don't want to talk about it. But guys, it's not a little thing. And, and our American, like modern minds have to grasp how big of a deal this was. So, they would pass the blood, it would be sprinkled on the altar. When the sacrifice was completed and the victim was ready for roasting, each one present carried his lamb home. Except when the eve of Passover fell on the Sabbath, because nobody worked on the Sabbath, so they did it differently that, um, on those years. When they took their lambs home and roasted them on a spit of pomegranate wood. No bones might be broken during the cooking or during the eating. Like, you break a bone, start over, Jack. And why is that important to us? Just, just real quick. Why, somebody, why is the lamb not being broken important to us? Jesus didn't have a single broken bone when he died. So the lamb was set on the table at the evening banquet, uh, or the Seder is the word we know, and was eaten by the assembled company after all had satisfied their appetites with uh, the regular food. So everybody would eat all the regular food. Then the sacrifice was eaten. And everybody had to have some. Littlest kid all the way up had to have at least a grape. And it specifies that it has to be the size of a grape, at least this much, um, had to be eaten by everyone. But why does that matter? It doesn't seem like any of this should be that important. Oh, well, we'll come back to it. <clears throat> we love King David because he tends to bring the Old Testament... Now, David reached forward through time. He, he, he connected with God and he connected with Holy Spirit and he reached forward through time and he grabbed the, the realities and the, the, the relationship that Jesus would bring and he grabbed a hold of it and he dragged it back through time and he practiced in his time, before the temple was even built, David was doing stuff that was on God's heart. And uh, we're going to look at that just a little bit here really quickly, hopefully really quickly. Uh, like you remember when, when David brought worship into the presence of the ark in, in 1 Chronicles 16? That's where we get harp and bowl from, I believe. Um, it's, it's, it's all this stuff that David was, David was just like so before his time. Well, David wasn't perfect. 
And there was a time when he was standing on top of his palace and all the other kings were at war doing war things and David was standing on top of his palace at home not doing what a king should be doing. A king should be out with his troops. A king should be out uh, waging war and doing the things that a king should be doing, but David wasn't. David was standing on the roof of his uh, little castle thingy there. Doesn't really look like a castle to our standards, but it was a palace. And he's standing on it and he looks out and he sees Bathsheba over there. And Bathsheba had a duck. You guys know Veggie Tales? We're going to talk about Veggie Tales for a minute. Bathsheba had a duck, and David was like, I want that duck. That's a good looking duck, a little squeaky toy duck. He's like, I want that duck. And so David called. He's like, Hey, somebody bring her to me. He's like, Hey, Bathsheba, can I have your duck? And she's like, Well, really, this duck belongs to my husband. Um, you know, uh, we did keep the children in here, so. Use your imaginations. Uh, so Bathsheba's like, well, it's my husband's duck, but sure, you can have it, King David. Well, Bathsheba shouldn't have given the duck to David, and David shouldn't have asked for it. They knew better. They were adults. They could have made better choices, but they didn't. They messed up, and there were consequences. And i uh, got to think how I can bring this across here real quick. i got to get this. Essentially, David was afraid that uh, uh, Bathsheba's husband would find out that he had her duck, that he had, he had taken her duck. And um, so King David has her husband killed out at war. David tells his commanders, make sure he dies. Just put him out in front, and then you guys pull back and make sure somebody kills him. It'll be great. And so Bathsheba's husband was killed. And David orchestrated the whole thing. King David, the guy who, who, whose heart is after God's own heart, who's, who on the inside, his, his, his whole being ticks the way that God's whole being ticks. This guy stole a duck, had the duck's owner killed so he could keep the duck. I think we all know what story we're talking about. So um, because Bathsheba didn't have a husband anymore, David invited her to come live with him. Yeah, super winner right there, guy. Good job. Let's go ahead and jump over to Nathan's story in 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 and 6, or 1 through 6, rather. So God speaks to prophet Nathan. He sees what David has done, what David and Bathsheba have done together. Let's not forget it takes two to tango, as my mother would say. Um, and... God sees all this and he speaks to Nathan. He says, Nathan, go talk to David. So again, 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 6. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. This story is important. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate. It drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. It was a lamb. Deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one that he stole and for having no pity. Uh, 
Why was David so angry at the loss of a single lamb? I'm going to try to help you guys understand. There's a really good chance that lamb was the one-year-old lamb that he was saving for sacrifice. And the poor man had bought it, which means that he didn't have much and that it actually took financial sacrifice for him to get that lamb. And that lamb grew up with his children. Super soft. He held it like a daughter, remember? We read that part? He held it like it's a daughter. Some friends of mine um, that I went to college with, they grew up in a Messianic Jewish family. It means they're, they're Jewish, but they know that Jesus came for them, but they're still Jewish. So for those of you that don't know, that actually exists. It's kind of a hybrid. Basically, it's the people that, that were Jewish, and then Jesus died, and they said, we follow Jesus, but we're still part of this other family. It, the blood is in our veins. We, this is who we are. And that's who, who my friends are. And they told me that this lamb wasn't just another herd animal. When all the lambs were born, they would look, and they would find the one without blemish, the most perfect one of all of them, and they would bring it home. And it would no longer live outside. It would no longer live out in the fields where, where wolves and bears and lions and whatever could find it. It would live in their house with the children. We don't understand that. You know what we do understand, though? Meet Snickers. This is Xander. Is this yours or is this Errol's? This is Errol's. This is Errol's stuffy. And um, you better believe that that lamb that those kids took care of every day, that slept in their bed, by their bed, that their dad held at night, that they fed from their table, that they fed from their hands, you better believe that their heart's connected to it the same way your heart might connect with a puppy. And after a year of this living with you and being with you and spending time in your house, it would be killed for your sins, for your lifestyle, for your state of being, then you were required to eat at least a grape's worth. Are you guys starting to grasp the severity of this sacrifice and what we're talking about? Because it was no joke. And then after the sacrifice, the next set of, next set of lambs or sheep or whatever are born, and have to start it all over again. And by the time these kids are two or three, they know that this is going to die. And every day that they look at this, they know it's going to die. And every Passover, when they're at the party, and everybody's eating their fill of all the regular food, and it comes time to partake in the sacrifice. This is no joke. I don't think I have enough table space. <laughs> Stay. Good dog. Okay. He's going to jump at you. And you're going to scream and it's going to be funny. <laughs> so this animal was the family pet. It was well taken care of. And each day this family took care of this animal, they were reminded of what the animal was for. The poor man's sheep in Nathan's story was likely that animal. It represented his identity. 
that he was able to sacrifice enough financially to get his own sheep. He didn't have to share someone else's. He didn't have to go with a smaller offering. He was able to save up enough to buy this sheep. He would have also, uh, this would have also represented his good standing with God as it was likely one of his offerings. And so after hearing Nathan's story, David freaked out with remorse. He just lost it. Because God spoke to him in a way that he understood. In a way that he really understood. Because David was what? What was David before he was anything else? David was a shepherd before he was anything else. And you better believe he was the kid who at every, every season when the lambs were being born, he was standing out there watching for the clean one. He'd be like, that's the one that we're going to have to sacrifice. And he would take that one home. You have to know that he knew what, what, what Nathan was talking about. And that's why his, his rage burned. Um, and, and his shame and all these things. So David turned around from that and he instantly wrote Psalm 51. We're going to go there. And I am trying to get you guys out on time. We're, we're getting close, so it's all right. I hope, I hope your American minds are entertained enough to, to stick with me. Uh, but this is going to turn around and it's going to turn around hard. Get ready. Psalm 51. <clears throat> Verses 16 and 17. David came away from this moment, from this story with Nathan. Nathan came and told him all this stuff. And David comes out and he writes these lines. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. In a world that is completely ruled by sacrifice for sin, line for line, David stole something, he should sacrifice something. Something had to die for his sin. But David wrote coming directly from that moment, okay? If you look at, look at the title of the chapter, Psalm for the choir director, a Psalm of David regarding the time that Nathan the prophet came to him after David stole a duck. It's written right there. It doesn't say stole a duck, but I mean, it says the other thing that the duck represents. It says it right there. That's what this was written for. David comes away and the first thing he says is, God, I would kill something for what I've done, but you don't want that. Old Testament guy that lived there before the temple was even built, he wrote this. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. You don't want my stuff. You want my heart. It's David reaching through time, grabbing a future truth and bringing it back to before the temple was even built. The second half of Romans 12.1. I'm going to jump back there. You don't have to follow. The second part of Romans 12.1. Let your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice. This is the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So if David says, you want a broken heart to worship you, and Romans says, my living sacrifice, my life, my body given as a living sacrifice is what you will find acceptable, what you truly want, Where's the line? This is back to that article from William K. Gilders. In the Hebrew Bible, sacrifice always involves transformation. One of the most common ways to transform something is to destroy it. Destruction removes the animal from the ordinary realm and transfers it to a transcendent one. Biblical texts tell us that God received the smoke of the burning sacrifice as a pleasant odor or aroma. See, for example, Leviticus 1.13. In so doing, God enjoyed a fellowship meal with human beings. 
in God's dwelling on earth, the temple. So at that sacrifice, the Passover sacrifice, we're eating, but God's enjoying the scent. It's something that we're, it's a communal event. It's not just, we did this for God so that we could be good. It's bringing us together in the most, in the, in the most realistic way that they could understand. Those five very, uh, the five sacrificial offerings that we read about have one element in common, the burning of some portion of the altar to transform the offering into a smoke or a pleasing odor. Sacrifice, in Leviticus, sacrifice is not a do-it-yourself activity. Priests are required to bring about the transfer and transformation of the offering because they're the experts in the procedures and uh, they bear the risk of moving into God's presence. The family's involved, everybody's fully involved. <clears throat> so if we go back to Romans 12.1, <clears throat> excuse me, we go back to Romans 12.1, we've been looking at a family. We've been looking at the father, who owns the, owns the flock, the sons, who are the shepherds in the flock, and the sacrifice, which would be the flock itself, or would be from the flock itself. So who, in our scenario, who's the father? God. God is the father. Um, who's the shepherd? The Bible's very clear that Jesus shepherd. Yes? Who would be the, who would be the victim? The sacrifice. We would be. In the sacrificial system, um, the way that things would normally lay out, the way that the family structure would be, it would be the father owns the sheep, the son Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep, and the sheep deserve to die. That's their purpose. That's what they're there for. They cover sin. And our death would cover our sin in that scenario. But that's not what happened, is it? Not even close. Who died? The son died. The shepherd became the actual sacrifice in place of us, the potential sacrifice. The actual sacrifice is the one that died. The potential sacrifice is something that is going to die, is built to die, is planned to die. I'm going to read John 10.10. This is 10.10 through 15. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. This is Jesus speaking, if you didn't know. Jesus is speaking. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them, or us, a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd, Jesus continues. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Nobody got it. Nobody knew what he was talking about. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and he doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Jesus is saying, God cares for the sheep. I care for the sheep and I'm going to die for the sheep. Oh boy, you guys ready? You want to know what the purpose of life is? I know it. I know what it is. I know what it is. That whole existential thing that everybody's always like, ah, oh, what is the purpose of life? You know what it is? To live. 
to live. Jesus says, I came to give them life and life to the full, life more abundantly, life so crazy they can't even understand it. That's what Jesus came for. Guys, our purpose isn't, my purpose isn't to stand here and preach to you. That's my calling. That's something God wants me to do and I'll have a a happier life if I do that. But what is my purpose? To live, to exist, to enjoy life. Jesus was an actual sacrifice for our sins. The shepherd died for his sheep. Does that make us any less sacrifices? Not at all. Not at all. Do we look at our lives as the man's children in Nathan's story would have? Every morning when you look, up in, when you look in the mirror, do you see uh, an old sinner saved by grace or, oh, I'm such a terrible person? No. Because your shepherd picked you out. And he pulled you into the house. And he feeds you from his table. And he holds you like you're his child. And he loves you and he cares for you. The appropriate sacrifice for what I've done has been given. And the response that I'm called to is to live as that sacrifice would have lived in my father's house with my father's children. You guys get what I'm saying? So that changes all the stuff because it's no longer uh, uh, be a living sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, die to self daily, die to self daily. No, it's a call to live. It's a call to exist. Is Jesus saying, hey, you were supposed to die for what you did, but I died instead, and so now I want you to live. I want you to experience life. I want you to find joy. I want you to do the things that that you would have never been able to do. Had Had the thing that you were, like, essentially built for, had that happened, you wouldn't have gotten to do anything. I did that for you, so now go and live and enjoy. We're looking at New Year's, and there's so many people like, oh, Every year, this happens every, every year. They're like, man, 2016 killed me. 2017 is going to be great. Ah, oh, 2017 killed me. 2018 is going to be great. Now we're like, 2019 about killed me. It, it almost did. But 2019 was horrible, but 2020 is going to be great. 2020 is going to be great, but it, not because it's New Year and we have the new like, reset and we're going to make whatever more money and go to the gym. That's not what's going to make it great. What's going to make 2020 great is when we start living the way that Jesus has called us to live. When we start experiencing life the way that Jesus has called us to live. When we start to live. I bought a motorcycle this year. And I absolutely believe that God was like, dude, go get a motorcycle. You'll be good for it. I'm not telling you to go buy a motorcycle. I'm telling you that there are things in this life that God is calling you to that are going to make you understand life differently and better. For some of you, it's your children. You have children, and they're helping you to experience life differently. Things are changing in your world because you're living life. That's what's going to make 2020 better. You want to have a good 2020? Live in 2020. couple of final notes before we move on. It's important to remember that we have value. We are no longer sinners saved by grace. We were sinners. God saved us by grace. Amen. What did we learn about? We read something a couple of minutes ago about the Levitical sacrifice. Something had to happen for a sacrifice to be real. 
You've got to eat it. That's part of it. Transformation. There has to be a transformation. Something had to be... Okay, so, so Jesus died, and, and he did his transformation. He transferred like, God again. Yeah, he, he did his thing. But if we're going to be living sacrifices, for us to be a living sacrifice, wouldn't there also have to be some sort of transformation for it to be, to, to meet? Well, let's keep reading Romans 12.1, shall we? Romans 12.1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Guys, God has called us to live and to enjoy life. The transformation of the living sacrifice comes not through death and incineration. Worship team, why don't you guys start coming up? But rather through the care of the shepherd. And Jesus is also our priest. Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. So we've been talking about how Jesus is calling us to this thing. I feel like it, it'd be appropriate for us to have some sort of a response. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and, and, and we're going to sing a song. I want to encourage you guys to stand up and join us. Um, and, and we'll finish up here in a second. But the church has kind of lost this call and response thing, but it's, it's, it only makes sense to finish the... <laughs> if I'm calling my child, if my daughter is missing, like she's not in the room, and I call her and she doesn't reply or she doesn't come running, something's either wrong or something's going to be wrong. You know what I mean? And I feel like if God's calling us to, to live, to truly live, to have this, to have this moment with him, then we need to respond. So let's, let's, let's do that this morning. I just, God, I pray that you would help us to respond to you appropriately this morning. If you're calling us, God, to... Uh, to, to live, if you're calling us to more, if you're calling us to, to join in this exciting life with you, then I pray that you would help us to respond appropriately this morning, God. God, we're going to sing some words, and they can just be words, but, but God, I pray that our hearts, our hearts would just, would just come into alignment with you and what you have for us this morning, God. In your name we pray. God of creation. Sorry. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. No point of reference. You spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. I can see your heart and everything 
God, again, I thank you so much for today. Thank you for the gift that is this day. God, I pray that you would inspire us to live it, to not waste it. And that when we wake up tomorrow, because we have faith that tomorrow will come because you're a good God and you're gonna give us tomorrow too. And I pray that we would live tomorrow. That Jesus, as you walked away from the grave living, we're gonna walk away living too. Jesus, you died so that we could live. And that's a call we are going to respond to. In your name. Guys, if you're here this morning and you are not uh, what we would consider, like maybe maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian. Maybe you would say, yeah, I, I used to be with God and we have an understanding, but, but I'm really not a Christian or whatever. Maybe, maybe the life we're living sounds really, really nice, but you're like, eh. How, that's not even real. That's not even possible. Maybe, maybe, maybe today you're just like, I need a better life, and you don't know where to go. We have prayer teams that are going to come up this morning that would love to minister to you and to love on you and to pray for you with the same heart that Jesus has for you. I pray that you guys would take today and live it and tomorrow and live it and the new year and live it and that today would be a turning point a turning point where you decided to stop existing and waiting for the new year to smack you in the face but you would walk into it with your head held high ready to live again Jesus we thank you so much for these opportunities for every gift that you've given us every moment you are holy and awesome and and we thank you for dying for us in our place. And we thank you for bringing us into your home. In your name we pray, amen. All right, guys, go out and give them.